Good morning, everyone. I'm really happy to have Leonard with us here this morning. Uh, I've known Leonard for a while, and uh, I just want to share with you some of the things that, that he's been involved with, some of the things that he does. Uh, he had been pastor of the Oxford Circle Mennonite Church in Philadelphia, uh, but he changed the roles not too long ago. Uh, he's now working with, with Everance uh, Financial as a stewardship and development specialist. Now, I'll let him describe all of that at, at some point, but uh, some of that work has to do with, with, with uh, really challenging uh, the institution and challenging us in the work uh, of uh, being present in the communities that have been left out whether it be in, in the inner cities, whether it be in other low-income areas. But um, we're excited about the work he's doing, especially at MCC. One of the things that he has done recently is partnered with us as we uh, have been doing the anti-racism training internally, um, especially, particularly, he, he worked with us in the part about um, finances and, and economics and the way that leads to racism and, and, and the connection there between the two. So we're excited about that, and we hope to be partnering more with him at MCC. Uh, uh, he has a wife, Rosalie, and three children. Just one wife. I, I only mentioned one. Okay. it up there as an option. Okay. No, no. He's married with three children, Carmela, who's 22 years of age, Marcella, 18, and Lorenzo, who's 13. And uh, I want to welcome you to East Chestnut Street. Thank you for agreeing to, to, to share with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for, for Leonard's presence here and for the work that he does. We ask you to bless him as he shares with us that um, yes. your words may, may come through what he has to share with us. Open our minds that we can hear, our eyes that we can see, and um, Lord, be present this morning and bless him in his time of sharing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the warm introduction. The one thing he didn't mention, I don't know if it's a Freudian slip, but uh also serve on the board uh, of where he works, so it was interesting that he <laughs> forgot that. It has been suggested that nations, like individuals, have souls. And as such, it is believed that nations, like humans, have things in their collective history that can trouble them. And they, nations, do not therefore want to deal with. And as a result, in 2018, we either, or as a result, the seemingly is that we are either unable or unwilling to deal with those things that are in our collective soul. And I would suggest this morning for our country, but not just our country, but the church, and let's get a little personal, the Mennonite church, and get a little closer perhaps East Chestnut Mennonite Church, that has been difficult for us to heal because collectively our souls are in turmoil. And I would suggest for our country and again the church 
what's troubling our soul is slavery and the modern day legacy of racism. It continues to trouble our collective soul precisely because as a nation, as a church, as a people belonging to God, and for some of us individually, we have refused to deal with it. So therefore, it has a right to trouble us. And because of our ongoing national dysfunction and denial of our collective soul, our, in denial, our collective souls have remained tied to our painful past. Unable to collectively move in the direction of acknowledgement, repentance, justice, healing, and restoration. But we can't get there because we don't want to deal with it. History reminds us that the acceptance of slavery was part and parcel of our national DNA from the very beginning of our nation. And, and what a terrible price we paid as a nation. The death of millions of Africans during the transatlantic voyage. The slavery of millions of Africans, fellow humans, for profit. And the tragic then civil war uh, whereby much blood was shed on both sides of, the, of that perhaps, uh, not perhaps, of that battle. They were all in in that battle was an attempt to rid our soul, I think. Yet for Americans of African descent, as noted by Michelle Alexander in her book, The New Jim Crow, the legacy of slavery continued to be played out in our history. From post-emancipation proclamation to Jim Crow laws, to Jim Crow to segregation laws, to from segregation to modern-day mass incarceration. The legacy continues. The legacy and sin of slavery continues to trouble our soul. African-American author W.E. Du Bois in 1903 prophetically uttered that the issue of the 20th century for our nation would be the problem of the color line. I think those words could be uttered in the 21st century. Some may say, well, what am I getting at? What does the past have to do with the present? Well, because of the legacy of slavery in terms of wealth, the median net worth of white white, uh, households was roughly 13 times that of black households in 2013. The average for white household around wealth is 144,000. For African Americans like myself, it's 11,000. A college education commonly believed to be a ticket out of poverty for all people, yet a recent analysis by Pew says the net worth revealed that a white brother and sister graduating from high school will accumulate as much wealth and earnings as someone like myself who graduated from college. African-American men like myself are considered the unhealthiest of Americans. We're disproportionately affected by heart disease, stroke, cancer, And before we dismiss some of the findings in my introduction and others as a result of a broken world or or nation, let us wrestle this morning with the words of author Drew Hart in his book, Trouble I've Seen, and the systematic effects of racism on people of faith specifically. He writes, the truth to which the church must open our eyes is that it's hard for all of us in the United States to truly love black people as created in the image of God. And in light of recent tragic events of this week and weekend, the attempted bombing of politicians, the racial uh, uh, murder of a couple in 
in the South, the tragic shooting in a Pittsburgh synagogue. The question that burns in my heart, and perhaps you this morning in our beleaguered nation, do we want to be healed? Does this nation want to be healed and made whole? Does the church, the Mennonite church, want to be healed and made whole? And perhaps no one in our country's history or recent history wanted both our nation and the church simultaneously, or at least the church to lead in this healing than Dr. King, in my estimation. It cost him his life. And on various occasions, he made it clear that though he was disappointed with the apathy of the church, specifically the white church as it relates to civil rights for African Americans, nevertheless, he reasoned that it would have to be the church to lead the nation to the Bethesda pool to be healed. He said, this is what he said, he said it would be led by beloved communities or church communities like here at East Chestnut. But a beloved community, they will contain individuals who recognize their need for both a qualitative change in our souls or in our hearts and a quantitative change in how we live. In short, King recognized the need for a supernatural healing that only God can give us, going to the well, and then upon being healed by God and transformed by God, we then live out differently than the world around us. And in our text this morning, we see how this qualitative healing leads to a quantitative life in the man by the pool with Jesus. In our text in John 5, at a certain pool of water, in Jerusalem, outside the temple, what happened is it, seemingly the, the water stirred in, in a good way, because sometimes you're in a pool and the water does that. You don't want to be there. You can laugh at that. But it stirred in a good way, and, and as the story goes in John 5, the, the first person to enter the pool after the water was stirred would, would, would be healed of whatever ailed them. Given the promise of restored health, a multitude of people waited and hoped for a physical delivery. And on, on this particular day, Jesus arrives and, and, and he skips over, because the text tells us, he, he, he identifies the man. There are others there, but he identifies the man who had been there for a long time. In other words, the man had been in his situation for 38 years. How many know we've been in our mess for well over 200 did they say amen at East Chestnut at all? <laughs> that was a pregnant pause. And in, in African American preaching, when there's a pregnant pause, that's room for the congregation to interact. It isn't that I've forgotten what I was going to say. It's, all right, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. And in the text, the man was there by the pool water, unable to walk, and therefore unable to get in the pool. And, 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 and he even says later in the text, I have no one to put me into the pool. And, and, and in fact, when he would try to get himself there, apparently others whose ailment was not their legs jumped in before him. So he had been there doing that dance for 38 years. And in the text, Jesus intervenes and asks the layman and asks, do you want to be what? Healed. Of course he does. What kind of question is that? 
What a strange question to ask of a man or a person who had been sick for 38 years. Do you want to be healed? Of course, the man had to want to be healed, right? Who would want to stay in their broken condition unnecessarily? Yes, but we stay in our mess unnecessarily. Well, truth be told, we do sometimes want to stay unhealed. I would say our nation wants to remain unhealed. I would say in many ways our church, the church, want to remain unhealed because it's too inconvenient on the other side of healing. Some of us, personally, we want to remain unhealed. But Jesus asked that deep question, do you want to be healed? And in his simple question, Jesus goes to the root of the issue for all of us. It's one thing for us to acknowledge a problem exists, but it's a giant leap towards repentance and restoration and wanting to, do, to actually do something about it that will cost us. Jesus wants the man, and I believe each one of us within the sound of my voice, to consider the totality of a qualitative change that, that, that healing will require of us. For the man to be healed meant that he no longer could wait there and receive help from others. In a real sense, upon being healed, his whole life would be changed in ways that he couldn't even fully comprehend. For the man, it was vital for Jesus. For Jesus, yeah, for the man, it was vital for Jesus that he thought through all the implications of the healing. Here's the reality. Ultimately, also, in the text we read, our wholeness in Christ and with one another and the world around us, that that reality, if we want that to change from a, from a position of a people of faith in Christ, our ability to do that can only happen from a posture of being healed. It's not a matter of being smart enough cute enough, strong enough, rich enough, poor enough. In our faith understanding, we go to the well because we know we need the living water. We find in the text just some observations as it relates to how the healing occurred. We notice in the, in the text that there is no healing in isolation or vacuum. Our healing isn't about us. It's a public sign of the coming kingdom to the world. When we are healed, we are a sign of what the brother who passed away this past year, we're a sign of the kingdom to come. The healed man's, the, the man who was healed, it was such a difference from where he was to what he had become, he became a sign of what the kingdom was. So people wanted to know who healed you. Because who, whoever healed you, I need to be healed in such a way. When Saul was healed on the road to Damascus, it wasn't in isolation. One day his mission was to go to Damascus to kill the Jews and, and, and then boom, in a very public way, uh, God changed and Christ changed his purpose. But his mission was still to go to D Damascus. But now he was going to Damascus to be healed. The second observation is there is no healing in our silence. 
There's no healing in, in saying, you know what, the woman at the well, she went to a very public place in order to, to, you know, to have God in Christ interact with her. And in fact, she then goes and becomes the Billy Graham of her, I'm sorry, we're a Mennonite church, to become the uh, uh, Osberger, right? Myron Osberger. <laughs> come on back, come on, come on back. Of her generation and evangelizes the whole village. That's good preaching. There's no healing in our silence. The man who was healed wasn't healed on his own. Sometimes we want to heal ourselves. If I get enough information, if I sit next to people that are different than me, if I go on missions and I'm around a lot of different cultures, then, 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 then surely the sin of racism, the sin of white privilege, the sin of, 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 of nationalism, the sin of, of, of all that will be alleviated. Well, my understanding of our faith is that unless Christ is in it and enters us and transforms us, then we're doing window dressing. All those things are appropriate, but it's in Christ that we're healed. Ooh, I was hoping you would somehow respond to that. There's no history in our silence. Dr. King is right. History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appealing silence of the good people. The next observation is there's no healing in the use of violence. Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? In other words, there is no coercion or force by Jesus for that person to be healed. Sometimes even when, we write, even when we're right, we're so violent in trying to say that we're right, we're violent in becoming that which we hate. Jesus says, do you want to? Gave the brother an option. Some people are not on the same journey that we are. It doesn't mean that we don't speak, but don't be surprised if someone says, no, I don't want to be healed. King is right again. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Another observation is that there is no healing without a desire to receive it. Friends, according to the text this morning, it is of high value to our Lord Jesus that we desire, that we recognize our broken condition, be it physically, be it spiritually, be it the systems that are, 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 that are unjust, as in the case of racism, in, you know, in a response to the broken condition of the world or the country that we're in, that, that we, we have to acknowledge that we need him. In the Revelations, there's this great passage that is often used when I was growing up uh, at the end of the services to get people to come forward to accept Jesus and all that. This verse says, here I am, I stand at the door, and what? Knock. knock. And if, that's better, knock. They got something really soft up here, I can't, but. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, the Bible says, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. And that often is seen as an invitation to come to Jesus. And it's okay, but it wasn't written to an individual. It was written to a church community. He says, here I am. Do you need me? I'm not going to kick the door down. I'm going to knock. And if, you, and if you want me to come in, you got to open 
the door. East Chestnut Mennonite Church, do you want to be healed? Leonard, <laughs> do you want to be healed? I'm knocking. I'm not going to force my way in. Friends, the healing of our soul begins and ends with Jesus. And as we see in our text, it is Jesus, not the water itself, that does the healing. It is Jesus that is the provider and the healer. For the man then and for us today, our healing, our, our, our peace comes from God in Christ. Because we do not find Jesus seeking to coach the man to try harder, to focus more, to pull himself or herself up by the proverbial bootstraps. Not at all. Rather, it is Jesus who intercedes then and for us today. In the text, do you want to be healed? And another way to say it is that passage that Jesus talks about. Come to me, all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you peace. Because rest is shalom, and shalom is balance. I will give you rest. How many know we need to hear that today? As a child, I distinctly remember how in my African-American church, Baptist church I grew up with, uh, during the prayer portion of the service, sometimes in the middle of the service, often at the end of the service, the pastor would work himself uh, up in a lather like I'm doing right now. <laughs> but they were wearing a robe. I don't know what my excuse is because I have no hair. It doesn't catch. So, and so he would work himself up in a lather, and I, and I would love it because I'd be like, wow, he's passionate. I don't know what he said, but he's passionate about it. But then at the end of the service, he would, whatever he was speaking about, or during the prayer time, he would, he says, now the altar is open. And he says, if you had something in your life, or is there something going on in the world, or in a community, that you can no longer handle on your own strength and your own resources, he would say, I want you to come. I didn't like that part of the service, because I didn't want to ever come forward. And so, but, 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 but. In my experience, in that experience, the church, the pews would empty out. And I would love to say that I and all the children who were there were excited to go. We normally were like, ah, you know. <laughs> but it showed me something. Because when I heard the prayers of my father and my mother and deacon such and such and deacon is such and such, Lord, come now. Lord, we need you now. Lord, if you don't show up. And then the organist would play, as they do in a black church, the song I remember, All to Jesus. I, what? Surrender. <laughs> I surrender. And a congregation will come. Why? Why? Is that just a, quote, cultural thing? I don't think so. My father knew in the African-American community around knew in the late 60s, early 70s when I was a child growing up, it was clear to us we had nowhere else to go but Jesus. Our local and national political system had failed us. A police system whose focus was on so-called law and order sought to arrest us. The underfunded, desegregated public school system had abandoned us. The banks and financial systems enabling access to capital investment to flow had redlined us. The large manufacturing employers who employed people like my father had moved. White homeowners had exited to the suburbs. 
The segregated church in and outside the city had ignored us and rejected us. So where else could we go but Jesus? To lament, to cry, to begin healing, to be restored, to repent of our anger that we had to because if we took it out into the streets, we may hurt one another and those that we disagree with. To be made whole. We came to the altar to be healed so that we could go out into the streets as agents of change in the name of Christ. Collectively, we would come hand in hand, families, brothers, sisters in Christ to the altar because like the broken man with Jesus at the pool, our answer to the question of Jesus, do you want to be healed? We, our answer was yes! What is your response to that question this morning and returning to our text for the last observation is that the first thing Jesus says for the man to do after being healed was exactly what the man thought he would never be able to do himself what could he not do for 38 years he could not walk so Jesus says to him after he is healed rise take up your mat and do exactly what you thought was impossible and walk in the text it says that once the man was healed and he took up his pallet, took up his mat and walked. Jesus invited the healed man to bear fruit, to show his healing, to rise up, to stand up. Now is not the time to be tired. Now is not the time to be defeated. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to say, woe is me. And he was in a very serious situation. Now is the time, according to Jesus, to the man, and I believe to the church today, and to East Chestnut Mennonite Church, now is the time to rise up. And in these prophetic words, Jesus is saying something very important to us and to those of us seeking to become, a, uh, in greater ways, a beloved community as king, in my opening remarks, desires the church to be, to resist against the powers of this world in a time such as this. He tells them, do not make <coughs> provisions to go back, basically, to what you have done before. Get up and no longer come here and go out into the world. Some years ago, when I preached this understanding of rise up, stand up, you know, we pastors actually think you guys in the, con in the congregation actually remembers everything we say. We actually believe that, right, pastor? So, so, so we, one time I was trying to figure out, I was, I was dry, I couldn't think of what to preach. My wife said, why don't you just preach the sermon you preached like two, three years ago? Nobody's going to remember. I did, and they didn't. <laughs> but in this case, I was talking about this particular topic around Rise Up and all this stuff, and, and I get all excited about it. Unbeknownst to me, there were po people in the pew at my church at the time, Oxford Circle Midnight Church, that listened and said, he's got something here. Or God has given him something. Our congregation is, uh, uh, at the time, a uh, couple hundred people, African-American, Latino, white. Most of the white are transplants, those who had, who had relocated to the city because of our ministry, because of school, work, whatever. One of the more challenging aspects of those, that transition is they can see clearly God's call. But when the children come, do I want my children raised in the city? Do I want my children to go to the schools that two-thirds of the church can't choose? So I'm preaching this sermon and 
some of the white congregants, unbeknownst to me, took my words seriously. This idea of, of, of not just a heart change, but our actions have to change along with it. And long story short, they, along with other congregants, not just white, but other congregants, uh, uh, professionals who could choose where to send their kids, they decided to, quote, put a line in the sand and collectively said, we're going to send our kids to the local elementary school that was underperforming, was on a low risk, low, those who are educators could frame it better, but was on a low end academically. It was a risk. But they understood that where, when the Bible says, where our heart, where, basically, um, where, where, where their heart is, their resources will follow. So in faith, they put their kids there. But what happened is they also began to pray for the schools more. They began to attend parent-teachers conferences. They began to ask within our nonprofit, what can we do as an organization to support the school? We begin to ask that question. We wind up opening up, a, 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 years later, a family, uh, a, a family resource center that is housed directly in the school that they said, we don't have any space except for this old room in the basement that is about, I don't know, 2,000 square foot, but nobody uses it. We said, if we could go in there and clean it up, because we know Mennonites love to come and clean up and paint. We got plenty of friends in Lancaster, so we cleaned it up. And so, so in the family resource center, in our nonprofit, we begin offering things such as social workers to help process and make available resources to, to, to the families. Many grandmothers were raising their grandkids. ELL for parents, because Oxford Circle is the most diverse community in the city of Philadelphia. We, we connected with a local seminary, and they provided us child therapists on site to help children, parents, and even teachers develop coping strategies around the trauma caused by violence and abandonment and, and, and undealt uh, anger. Um, we, we, we hired a dietitian to help us understand why some of, the, some of the challenges of being in a food desert, how that affects the body and the mind. And we offered tutoring classes as well. I didn't do that. It was a heart change. I would be remiss if I, before I closed, and I say this a lot, so you might have heard me say it, but when I say I close, I only have five minutes to close. Because <laughs> my wife threatened that if I ever say, she grew up as a preacher's kid, she said, if you ever say close and go another 10 minutes, I'm out. <laughs> the downside is she's not here, so. But I would be remiss before, if before I close, I didn't acknowledge the fact that there are those here in the, this morning and surely in the larger church and definitely in our national narrative, again, that do not want to be healed. And like the rich man who encountered Jesus, you may have a false sense of superiority to that question of, do you want to be healed? The rich man said, no, I don't need to be healed. I got this. I got this as it relates to race and racism. <laughs> I got you. I feel your pain. No, you don't. I'm not the over racist in Charlottesville. I'm not the person mailing out bombs with people I disagree with. I don't, res I don't reside in that nation's capital. I'm not, I'm not like that. If you, only, if you only understand that healing needs to happen to those folk, then you miss the whole message. 
that's short-sighted. Remember, the, again, the rich man with Jesus who asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to eternal life? Jesus replied, he goes down, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, love your, your, your parents, love your neighbor as yourself. And the brother actually said, I've done all that. <laughs> I would have been out like on the first one. But Jesus pushes further, as I hope the Spirit pushes further into you this morning. If you want to be perfect, sell everything. The Bible said he walked away because it was going to cost too much. The rich man found out that there is no healing without a total submission to Christ. He wasn't willing to give up his power, his privilege, and fear began to grip him, and he said, I'll pass. He passed on the Son of God <laughs> to have his life transformed. What about you this morning? Do you want to be healed? Because if you haven't heard me by now, I want to make it perfectly clear. You and I, the church, even this beloved community at East Chestnut Mennonite Church, we all are in need of the healing grace of God from racism this day. Some of you need healing from white superiority and privilege and nationalism that has told you the lie that you and your family, your family tree have accomplished all that you have accomplished because of just systems and they just worked harder. Some of us need healing from fear and hate and anger that enabled us to feel justified to throw stones via social media or the words that we use in our own echo chambers at those we disagree with. Some of us need to be healed from the spirit of despair that we came in here with this morning, failing to remember that God did not give us the spirit of fear. I've come down the turnpike to remind you that now is not the time to give up. Lastly, others of us need to be healed from the lie, myself is in this category, that we are not what Mark Lamott frames in his book, no, that, that he frames in his book, that some of us need to be healed, that, we, that, that, that the world around us tell us that we're nobodies, that we're less than. I'm convinced that I'm in need of healing on a daily basis. But the question set before you this morning is do you want to be healed? Because it's important to note that again that this man at the pool wants to be healed desperately. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled and while I'm going another one steps. But I do want to be healed. In other words, he's saying, yes, I want to be healed, but I cannot do it on my own. I've tried. I've, I've done everything I know. I, <laughs> I get to the water. I'm on the edge, and, 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 or I'm, I'm on the edge, and I fall asleep. I, I just can't do it. But he had a desire, and Jesus met him there. Perhaps that's you this morning. If so, prayerfully, you recognize, as the man at the pool of Bethesda and the woman at the well, each recognize we cannot remedy ourselves of racism in the church, in this nation, only by reading, having friends, conversations, being angry. We, 
absent of the ne- our recognition that Jesus has to work on our hearts. Has to work on my heart in a quantitative way, qualitative way. A discipline I started some years ago when I, <laughs> yeah, I put in my notes and thought it'd be funny, see if it, if it works. A discipline I started some years ago when I had hair, <laughs> I shouldn't have said it, it was during uh, my morning prayer, and I still do this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be, thy will be done. And I just stop and begin saying, Lord, how can I bring that which is in heaven in myself and in the world around me? One thing I have found in my ability to travel, <laughs> thanks to MCC in many of our board trips, is that there's a universal sign of, of release or giving up that we used to do when I was growing up in North Philly and the police would come, my father said, the first thing that you do is you just put your hands up, right? There's something about that posture that is vulnerable. And wherever I've been in the world, that, that has been a sign of vulnerability, be it in worship, be it in altercations. Hey, my hands are up. I'm showing you I'm vulnerable. As I close in prayer, some of you are wondering. They're like, "Woo! I thought he was going to do an altar call. <laughs> Breathe. <sighs> okay. But I am going to invite you, not coerce you at all. But if you have a desire to be healed in a way, in a tangible way, an opportunity to say, hey, this day I put a line in the sand and, and I said, Lord, you know, <laughs> There's some, there's some junk in my trunk that i got to <laughs> confess. If you want to put your hands up, if you're a Pentecostal, you would do like this. <laughs> if you're somewhere in between, it's here. <laughs> if you're more liturgical, it's on your lap, and no one will see you. <laughs> some of you are like, yes! The Old Testament says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land, will heal their soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and on that promise. Lord, with our hands up, out, on our laps, whatever it is, more importantly, Lord, we do this physical vulnerability representing the spiritual of our hearts, our minds being open to you, Lord. So dear God, I ask that you would come here to this beloved community even as wounded healers who are represented here in, this pew, in, in, in the pews. I pray, dear God, that you would give them this day in a greater measure for tomorrow, the strength, the understanding, the sense that you desire to heal them this day. Heal them of those lies of the enemy that seeks to do what the enemy does, devour and destroy, Lord. 
I pray for healing of words that we have heard in the past that still echoes in our head. I pray for healing for ill-gotten wealth that we have, we have accomplished, we, we have, we've gotten and we don't even quite know what to do with. I pray for healing for those of us who have been on a receiving end of words and actions and systems that have demeaned us and to such a point that we want to give up and we, and we keep a wall between us, that wall of hostility, Lord. I pray for healing wherever the broken places are of those who are represented here in our marriages, in our family systems, in whatever brokenness that immediately surrounds this church and their uh, influence in the community around it, Lord. Open our eyes so that we can begin seeing one another and seeing those who are often hidden or marginalized in your light, Lord. Open our ears so that we can hear more from you, Lord, not just from CNN or Fox or, 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 or any of the other media outlets, Lord. I'm not saying go into a shell, but I pray, Lord, that amongst all that noise, that your voice would be clearer to us, Lord. Open our mouth, Lord, that we can speak your truth and love and grace and hope. And open our minds so that they can be more like the mind of Christ. We thank you in advance. We know that you desire to heal us, not just today, but tomorrow. Continue to allow us to go to the well to draw on you, Lord. And we'll be sure to give you the glory and the honor. And the people of God said,